quite a bit like finding your next BMW at Nick Alexander. We have the largest selection of BMWs in Los Angeles. In your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I'd like to get your opinion and thoughts on this woman here. Take a look. She's taking a, a, what they call a selfie, a self-portrait picture. Um, her name is Lesia. And Lesia met a man. And she met a man on the internet. And he happened to be in the tattoo business. And uh, she decided not just to talk with him in a chat room on the internet, but she decided to meet up with him in real life for a first date and while on that date she decided to have him do his tattoo artistry on her first date and uh, while on that date she uh, he convinced her or maybe she chose we're not really sure to tattoo his name on her face and here's the happy couple here. They're engaged now. You'd be happy to know that they're engaged. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. <laughs> We're in a series entitled, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And these are the sometimes difficult to comprehend, difficult to understand, and let's be honest, difficult to do, sayings of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the church isn't immune from harsh criticism either. I read in a book this week the criticisms that pastors face. It goes on like this. If the pastor is young, the congregation says he lacks experience. If his hair is gray, he's too old for the young people. If he has more than five children, he's irresponsible. If he has no children, he's setting a bad example. If he drives an old car, he shames his congregation. If he drives a new car, he's, he's setting his affections on the things of the earth. If he uses a lot of illustrations in his preaching, he neglects the Bible. If he does not use enough, he's not relevant. If he condemns wrong deeds in people, he's cranky. If he does not, he's compromising. And it just it goes on and on. There was once a handsome young eligible bachelor, and he wanted to get married in the worst way, but he experienced his parents' critical nature. And every time he brought a girl home, his mother judged and critiqued her unmercifully the young man was at, just at his wits end and he was talking about this to a co-worker and the co-worker suggested um, you know you ought to just find a girl just like your mother so he looked and he looked far and wide and, and uh, he looked until he found a clone of his mother she looked like his mother she walked like his mother she talked like his mother and it was pretty amazing. And so he took her home to meet his parents for the weekend and um, told his coworker about it and went to work on Monday. And the coworker asked, um, so how did it go? Did your mother like the girl? And the bachelor answered, well, it was so-so. My mother loved her, 
but my father, he couldn't stand her. <laughs> Our text today is from the most famous sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7 in our Bibles is at the end of the sermon, and Jesus uses some pretty playful language um, at the end of the sermon. There's a lot of fun and ludicrous and, and brilliant words that Jesus uses. And this text is a section of the sermon about relationships that Jesus wants the church community to have. He wants believers to have. He wants the already convinced to have these types of relationships. Let me read our text today to you in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's begin today with understanding what it means to judge, found in verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 7. This is a, there is a conventional or a popular interpretation of these ver first two verses. And verse 1 is, is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Usually in our popular culture, it sounds something like this, maybe around the coffee pot at work or, or um, in the, the lounge at your particular place you like to hang out. Someone will say, yeah, he cheated on his wife, but who am I to judge? Hey, we're all sinners, right? Like Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged. And you'll hear it like that a lot. Or you might hear, why are you always so critical and hard to please? If you are really a Christian, that is, if you are really a Christian, you know what Jesus said, judge not. Verse 1 is often used in order to defend any comment that someone's behavior is, is wrong. And when quoted like this, the verse is understood as a prohibition against declaring specific action as sinful or wrong, since doing so would mean that you would be judging someone. So what does Jesus mean when he uses the word judge in verse 1? When you, when you ask a word's meaning like this, you're asking what the scholars call a, a semantic range or a lexical range. And, and you see this. You see this all the time when you, when you open a, a dictionary up and, or if you look at dictionary.com, which a lot of people go to now, it'll usually give you more than one meaning. And so you'll, you'll look at it and it'll say what the word is and then it'll have number one, number two, number three, and it'll have different meanings to that word. Well, why is that? It's because every word has a range, a limited range of meanings, somewhat different depending on how that word is used. And so if we look at the word judge, that it, it could mean you would see maybe number one, and it would say to evaluate, as in um, 
I didn't judge the distance very well when I hit that tee shot in my game of golf yesterday. Or, I, I got to think, when we talk about it, to evaluate, that's what judge means. Is this what Jesus was prohibiting? Never evaluate someone's behavior? Or don't ever criticize? Or how about this, always be tolerant. Is this what Jesus meant? But if you look at verse 6 in, in chapter 7, Jesus is calling people dogs and pigs. It's sort of like, don't judge, you dog. I, I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to me, right? I mean, if it says, don't judge, you pig, uh, Jesus couldn't mean that. Uh, he, he couldn't mean never negatively evaluate someone's behavior or beliefs. So if that's on one end of the semantic range, what's on the other end of the semantic range? Maybe if you look at the Old Testament in the Bible, when you look at the word judge, you'll notice that um, it means to punish or to exclude or condemn, as in God will return to judge the earth. And when, when we read that, we know that it means that he'll punish or he'll condemn, he'll exclude, he'll even destroy evil. So you have one end of the semantic range and the other on the other side. And so it's got to be somewhere in there. So within the range you realize you can judge in the sense of evaluating or criticizing or condemning. But the difference in all of this in Matthew chapter 7 is attitude. In Romans chapter 7, the writer says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? The question is, when you judge your brother or sister, the God's family, how's your attitude? What's your attitude all about when you're evaluating your brother or sister? When you evaluate or you criticize, are you trying to get that relationship right with them? Are you criticizing to punish them or to cause pain in their life or to cause the other person to feel bad or to cut them off relationally? See, this is the lexical range we're talking about here with this word judge. Never judge to cause pain or to punish or to cut someone off or to demean someone or to elevate yourself. And we see this balanced approach here. Um, when Jesus says, do not judge. It's not cowardice. It's not passivity. But we speak the truth, and we speak it in love. So this is the principle. How does this all work out? Well, in your notes there, you'll see it's the, all about the attitude you need. The attitude you need to have in these loving and truthful relationships. The next set of verses is the practical side of verses 1 and 2. Let me read them to you. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When you have a speck of sawdust, I, I think perhaps everyone has had this, when you have a speck in your eye, it feels terrible, doesn't it? Uh, you can't see. It's painful. There are tears that flow. It's embarrassing. It's, it's debilitating when you have a speck in your eye. There's, there's two metaphors that we can pull from these set of verses. The first is, we'll call it a spiritual metaphor. And when, you, when you have sin, a speck, uh, when you have sin, lodged in your soul, 
it destroys your ability to see. That's the spiritual metaphor that we're pulling out of these verses here. When you have this speck lodged in your eye, when you have sin lodged in your soul, it destroys your ability to see. It's sort of like with pornography. If you're involved in pornography, it's that speck in your eye. It destroys your ability to see women and to see men as whole people, the way God sees people. When you have pornography lodged in your soul and a speck in your eye, it, it destroys your ability to see men and women as whole people. You only see them as objects when you have pornography in your life. And that's how it distorts your, or, or that's how it blocks your, your sight. Another way would be if you have an over-desire to be successful in your career, it's hard to see what it's doing to your relationships. If you have that over-desire to be successful, that speck in your eye, it's hard to see what it's doing to relationships. First with God, when you have that over-desire to be successful, you don't know what it's doing to your relationship with God and, and also with your spouse and to your kids and even your friendships. There are so many flaws and so many bitternesses and grudges and anxieties and unforgiveness and obsessions they lodge in your soul like a splinter in your eye. So what do you need when this happens? What do you do when you have a, a speck in your eye? Well, I, I would normally, I've got something in my eye, and so I'll go up to the bathroom mirror, and I'll, and I'll open my eye up, and I'll, I'll look and see. Did they have mirrors in Jesus' day? Well, maybe the rich had a, a, a mirror. Maybe you can see your reflection in a, in a pool of, steel, of still water. Maybe there is some ceramic that was polished that you could see, but not detailed enough where you can see your eye. So when Jesus says, you have a speck in your eye and you need to get it out, he's right. You need someone to help you to identify the wrong, to evaluate your life, to be critical of you, because we can't see it on our own. That's the spiritual metaphor. There's also a relational metaphor here. How do, you re, how do you remove the speck from your eye? That's the question. We, the answer is very, very carefully, right? How do you help someone identify sin in their life? How do you, how do you point out areas of improvement in your friend's life? How do you be honest with someone? That's what Jesus is talking about. How do you be truthful with someone? Well, you do it very, very carefully. If you have a speck in your eye, you know, I, I've worked with Pastor Dave now, how many, how many months? Four, about 14 months? And let, let's just say I'm, I'm in my office, his office is right next to mine, and, and he says, I got something in my eye, Dean, can you help me? And I'll say, sure. Let me uh, drill it out of your eye. No, you don't do that. If you, if you wanted to go a little bit different, how about... No, of course, it's silly. And even if I had some tweezers, no, right? What do you do? How do you remove someone's speck from their eye? Well, maybe you would get a tissue. And maybe you would develop sort of a, just a, a, a corner of a point, the thinnest corner, and you would carefully you would with a steady hand it would have to be slow 
you would have to give it great thought. You would have to be confident in taking that speck out of someone's eye. And you would be so gentle, wouldn't you? But there's another issue. Jesus says in verse 4, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your own eye, out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Now, this is comedy. I mean, when Jesus is talking about this in this sermon, he was punching up his sermon towards the end. I mean, this is, this is true fun with what Jesus is doing. If you just think about this, you know, there are people who are more sensitive to other people's specks than they are to the two-by-fours in their own eye. Would you agree with that? And Jesus is talking about some people who are far more aware of others' faults than they are of their own. But when you have this troublesome speck in your eye, doesn't it feel large? Doesn't it sort of take over your life? You can't do, you can't read, you can't watch TV, you can't even relax when you have a speck in your eye. It looms large in your, in your life, doesn't it? When you have a speck in your eye. It's hard to get out. It's causing all kinds of problems. And your sight is impaired. And, and I think Jesus is saying here, he's saying, unless your sin, that speck, looms large in your own eye, you're going to never be able to help others see their sin. And so you need to be sensitive, and you need, need to be tender, and you need to do it with humility. Truth be told, I, I know far more about the sin in my life than in the sin in your life. And I know the sin in my heart. And many times, it's easier to judge the sin in my heart as less than the sin in yours. Isn't that true? I like to evaluate my sin and find that my sin is a speck compared to the log in your eye. And unless I'm willing to honestly evaluate the sin in my own heart, I'm not qualified to judge yours. That's what Jesus is saying here. My attitude needs to be this, that the speck of sin in my own eye feels like a log to me. So I must humbly and properly deal with the log in my eye so that I can help you with the speck that's in yours. I guess our question today for us is, is Nova Community Church a place that does this well? Are you a part of a small group that, that helps you with this, that does this well? And do you have friends that help you to do this well? That's the attitude you need. And let's take a look at the heart that you need to have these loving and truthful relationships. There's a little parable that at the end of our text today. It's in verse 6. It, it's just a very short little story. It says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, now dogs were often domestic. Um, there were wild dogs, and, and some translators, commentators say these were wild dogs. But I, I think they're domestic because later you read in the Gospels that Jesus is having this heated exchange with this woman, uh, what the Bible describes as a Syrophoenician woman. 
And he says, Jesus says, hey, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. And this woman takes issue with that because she wants Jesus to come to him, her too. And so she says, even the dogs under the table eat the scraps from their owners. Meaning, I'm like that dog. And, and if there's dogs underneath your dining room table, they aren't wild dogs, are they? They're probably pets. Owners fed their animals scraps. But in the parable, the owners are not doing their job. You, you read here that, that they are throwing the dogs and pigs inedible things. And if you throw to the animals what cannot be eaten, they get hungry and they may turn on you and see you as eatable or edible. I guess it would be edible, I, I think. Later on, you read in Matthew chapter 13, another very short parable. Speaking of pearls, like in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So if you put those two parables about pearls together, you'll find that the pearl is clearly the gospel. The gospel is the king has come to save people from sin and by his grace. And then you look at dogs and pigs, and, 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 and I think we could see that as, as people having dog-like or pig-like attitudes. They ask, what's in it for me? Dogs and pigs don't care about other people and maybe even other dogs, as much as you love your dog, I, I know. But they have a dog-like, like, what's in it for me attitude, a very self-centered attitude. And in Matthew chapter 13, you look at this merchant or this man or this woman, this person who sells everything they have in order to get the gospel. Some people hear the gospel, and they say, this is incredible. It's free? Are you, are you kidding me? I'm forget There's free forgiveness? I'll give up everything in order to follow the king. That's how some people look at it. And then some people hear the gospel over and over and over again, and each time they say, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. What's in it for me again? Will this make me rich? Will this keep me healthy? Well, can I be successful if I follow the king? Can, and can I still have a good time in my life? As we close, we could see the ultimate meaning in these, and then there's a penultimate meaning, a second to the last, a second to the uh, ultimate meaning. The penultimate of these parables is there are people that you share the good news with, the gospel with, and they take no action. I think if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've maybe done that or you're working with family members or friends or neighbors or coworkers and you share the good news with them and they, and they just they take no action. Your presentation may be flawless, your theology may be impeccable, and you may push them and prod them and press them and they may even turn on you and be angry with you when you're just trying to share some good news with them. You ever have that experience? The lesson, the penultimate lesson here is this. Give people the truth at the rate that they could bear it. Or honor the pace of God in their lives. Trust God. I, when I was in college, it was a... It was a an incredible time in my life. 
many of my friends were coming to know Christ. And, and we would gather together and, and just hang out together and, and read the Bible and talk about Jesus and pray together. And friends in my friend group, they were coming to know Christ. And that group was getting larger and larger, and people were getting baptized. And it was just a celebration, a, a great celebration in the early days of, of my college. But there was one friend who always was kind of on the outside. And he was our friend before, and in college he joined uh, our, our friendship group, and we were going to church, and we were going to Christian concerts, and uh, it, it, was, it was just a, a fabulous time. But this one friend, he, he, he would never cross the line of faith. Until one day, we were, it was late at night, and we were at the avenues and on the Esplanade in Redondo Beach, and we're sitting on a bench there. And if you've ever been there in the evening, they, they'll light up the sand there. And we're sitting on a bench, and we're just having a good time, just enjoying each other's company. And this friend, the one that didn't cross the line of faith yet, he uh, was just kind of standing there, and then he ran down the embankment. Didn't take the stairs, you know, Avenue C. He just ran down the embankment and ran in the, over to the sand and stood in front of the water. And we were up on top still looking out at him. and We could hear him talking. He was walking around and talking and doing this, and, but we couldn't understand what he was saying. And we were looking at him, and we were commenting, ah, he hasn't, you know, accepted Jesus yet and all this stuff. And suddenly he turned around to us, and he waved us on. And we ran down the embankment, and he, we walked over to him, and he said, I did it. It was months. It was over a year that we were working with him, loving him, taking him to church services and sharing the gospel with him. And he said, it was such an important decision for me to follow Jesus. I needed to decide in my own time. We need to honor the pace of God in people's lives. We need to give people the truth of the good news as much as God would allow them to bear it. And we need to trust God that he's working with them. That's the penultimate meaning of, this, of these uh, parables. Uh, the ultimate is this, and we'll close with it. The ultimate meaning here is the only way you can become the person with the right attitude and the right heart for loving and truthful relationships is if when you hear the good news of the kingdom, you are so grateful that you are forgiven and given a purpose and set free that you sell everything to get it. You aren't asking, what's in it for me? And what is, does Jesus promise us riches? You don't ask, will I always be healthy and wealthy and wise? You don't... Uh, you don't ask for more financial figures so that you can do a cost-benefit analysis of the gospel. You don't do that. That I'm no longer asking these questions. And I'm only asking with a grateful heart, how can I serve Jesus with my whole life? To my Nova Community Church family, the family I love, do you see the gospel as the pearl of great price? Are you grateful that you are forgiven and given a mission and a purpose and set free? And do you have a humble and grateful attitude that you want to help people grow? And have you told Jesus that you're willing to serve him with your whole life? Do you see the gospel as the pearl? of great price. Amen.
Let's all stand for the benediction.